0: Hey there, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. I am so thankful that you're here. Welcome back to the podcast. If you are a first time listener, take a moment to subscribe. And if you have already subscribed, thank you for doing that. That information is helpful for me, knowing that this ministry is reaching others that they are being edified through the Bible studies that are happening in conversation. Now, it's springtime, right? You get to look outside, beautiful skies, the trees and flowers are blooming. What a great time it is for Christians to get together. And there is a great springtime gospel meeting going on that I want to give you a very special invitation to. It's at the Norman, Oklahoma Church of Christ. It's their annual spring gospel meeting, and it's coming up. April 26th through the 28th, the Friday through Sunday event. And the evangelists or preachers who will be there are Alan Bailey, Greg Gay, Matt Trent, and Jacob McKinney. You can find out more information on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Norman Follows Christ. That's the handle. It's the sign, not the word at. The sign at Norman Follows Christ. Go there. Look it up. Find information about it. And I'll just say this as well, personally, Norman is a wonderful congregation. When I became a Christian way, way back in 1996, Norman was my home church. And they are an amazing group of people today doing some wonderful work in the Norman, Oklahoma area. So go, drop everything, put it on your calendar, and go April 26th through the 28th. Now, my uncle George Batty is back to have a conversation with me about predictive prophecy. What do you think about when you hear that phrase, predictive prophecy? Well, hopefully it is something that you are getting excited about, you are interested about, it's intriguing. If, however, you feel like, eh, maybe this episode is not relevant to what I'm going through, or it's not valuable to my Bible study, oh my, all I can tell you is you really need to listen to this. It's incredibly informative, and George answers a ton of questions that I know you will find helpful to know the answer to. Now, it will take a few episodes to get through, so buckle up, and let's go for a ride. Well, thank you for coming back, Uncle George, to the studio and for bringing this Bible study on predictive prophecy. Now, I will say when I opened the email that you sent me with your notes, I was intrigued, uh, by what we were going to be studying. So reading through it, I learned a lot. And I'm thankful for extended Bible study on prophecy and some of its meanings. Now you begin by uh, clarifying there's actually two different types of prophets. So maybe that's a good way for us to start this conversation together. Can you explain what you mean by that? Okay, well, first of all,
1: there are oral prophets who gave their prophecies to Orally and didn't write it down. Okay. And then there were writing prophets, as they're called, who came later.
0: Well, what are some examples of those?
1: Well, oral prophets would be men like Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, and there was even an unnamed prophet in 1 Kings chapter 13. Okay. Now, to be fair, Elijah is classified as an oral prophet, but he did write at least. A short little letter one time in second chronicles chapter 21 verse 12 and the next three and a half verses contain his little letter that he wrote but other than this there's nothing that elijah wrote that we have a record
0: of and so the difference is these oral prophets that they were specifically for that audience and then it was recorded about them what they preached and then the written prophet is going to be something that they have a scroll and then we have access to the thing that they wrote. Right. Is that true? Okay, so I noticed you had some examples. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, just a, usually those that um, were able to write it and send it to somebody. So uh, the question I might ask next would be, why were the words of the oral prophets not written down and passed along like the words of the uh, written prophets were? Why Why one and not the other? Well, that's that's really
1: what this study is all about okay did you
0: did you ask that yourself i mean were you reading through the old testament and just asking how come some were written and some weren't or is there a a bigger i guess genesis to the study behind that
1: yes well that was a question that came to my mind that that i've had for quite a while okay and i feel like that through my studies i came up with an answer (laughs) and so um that's why i put this little study together so Why were the words of the earlier prophets not written down, like uh, the later prophets? Uh Well, Isaiah is considered to be one of the greatest prophets. But when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain in Matthew chapter 17, it was not Moses and Isaiah that were standing there talking to Jesus. It was Moses and Elijah. Uh
0: Uh-huh okay one
1: of these oral prophets
0: and i you know i think about how much content isaiah had and how little elijah had why why elijah not isaiah
1: well as great as isaiah and jeremiah and ezekiel and daniel as great as they all were they all died but elijah didn't die he was translated into heaven and didn't have to die hmm and Yet, as great as Elijah was, he wrote no part of the Bible. Uh, We only have four short verses of a letter that he wrote to a wicked king. Okay, so why is this? Why, Why do we have so little? Well, a breaking point was reached in the covenant relationship between God and Israel. Earlier prophets were calling people back to the covenant. But when people failed to return to the Lord, the later prophets announced God was going to keep his threats of judgment and punishment that were contained in the covenant. Hmm. So if you read uh, Deuteronomy 28 and see 68 verses of punishment that were promised and were awaiting Israel for breaking the covenant, that's pretty impressive. Now to illustrate this, um, how many times Have you seen a parent in a grocery store saying to some rowdy child, (laughs) if you do that one more time, I'm going to give you a whipping.
0: I don't know how many times I've seen it, nor how many times it's been me that's making that threat.
1: (laughs) Well, what they mean is if you do that one more time, I'm going to threaten you (laughs) one more time like I just have. Right. Well, if we keep repeating our threats and we never carry them out, We become foolish in the eyes of everyone and our promises and our threats are meaningless and at some point we have to act on our threats we have to actually carry them out right okay so the oral prophets they call men to come back to the covenant with god men like samuel and elijah and elisha were calling the people to come back to god's covenant and the writing prophets were predicting the punishment that was actually going to come upon Israel for not coming back. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, let me just sum it up, kind of what you just said, but I need to make sense of it. Oral prophets were meant to call people back to the covenant. Uh, Writing prophets were predicting the punishment because they didn't come back to the covenant. Exactly. Well, um, you you ask another question, so you've kind of answered the why did some get their... uh, Messages written down and others not. But uh, another question that you ask in your notes is why do we read fantastic predictions concerning the future in the books of these writing prophets? So it's more than just uh, them telling about God bringing destruction, but there's these fantastic claims of things that happen in the future. Why are they there? The predictions
1: of punishment and the restoration of God's people required predictions of the future okay these predictions had to be written down in order to verify or to establish that the lord was behind both the punishment and the restoration that would later come
0: okay and so you suggest then that there are reasons of this foretelling prophecy can you maybe explain some of those reasons to us okay well let me give you several reasons number
1: one, predictive prophecy distinguished the true God from false gods. Okay. Prediction of the future distinguished God from the idols that were worshiped by the nations. The one and only test that proves deity is the ability to predict the future and to control the future. And this is still true today. Of all the technologies that we have, we have no technologies that enable us to predict the future. Mm. The closest we can come to predicting the future is the weather channel. <laughs> and even then, half the time, it seems like the weatherman's wrong. Right. And we all want to know the future. But nobody can do that. And if we could predict the future, man, we'd, we'd all be rich from the stock market. No one would die from a car wreck right. if we knew the future. Right. We would go to the doctor before the Mm -hmm. heart attack instead of after. (laughs) Well, the false gods of nations could not predict the future. Isaiah, more than any other prophet, emphasized this particular point. Okay. Look at Isaiah chapter 41. And why don't you read this for me, verses 21 through 24.
0: Okay. Isaiah 41, 21, 24. Uh, Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things that they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing, and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. So Isaiah
1: is sort of ridiculing, these idol gods, and he's he's challenging them. Go ahead and predict something. Show us something out of the future so Mm -hmm. we can know that you're real. And of course, they couldn't do that because they weren't real. Right. So in contrast to these false gods, the Lord accepts the challenge, and he is going to reveal the future to show that he is real and that he is in control. Okay. So read Isaiah 42, verses
0: 8 and 9. Okay. Uh, Verse 8 and 9. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So God's, God's saying,
1: I'm going to tell you about things before they happen. And as a matter of fact, He's saying, what I've already predicted in the past has now come true, and I'm going to do it again. I'm going Mm -hmm. to predict more things in the future that will come to pass. Look at chapter 48, Isaiah 48,
0: verses 3 through 5. Read that. Okay. I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth, and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them, and they came to pass.
1: Now, let me stop you here for just a second. Okay. What he's saying is in the past, God has already predicted things which have come to pass already by the time Isaiah wrote this. Mm-hmm. So he's he's already proven right. he can predict the future, right. and it comes to
0: pass. Right. So keep on reading. Okay. Because I knew that you were obstinate, and your neck was an iron sinew, and your brow bronze, even from the beginning I have declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you, lest you should say, My idol has done them, and my carved image and my molded image have commanded them. So this is showing us that prophetic predictions weren't
1: given just to wow people. Right. They weren't just
0: to make life more comfortable for God's people. Hey, let me ask you this. It's not in the notes, but I'm thinking about it. Um, Isaiah's words sound a lot like Elijah's taunt. Whenever he's on Mount Carmel. absolutely. So there's a connection between an oral prophet who he taunted the false gods and then God proved his deity by sending fire down from heaven and an oral prophet who taunts these idols and then God claiming, or I guess God showing his deity by, except it's delayed, right? It's going to be hundreds of years. Yeah,
1: Elijah was taunting the idol gods to perform a miracle. Right. And Isaiah is taunting
0: the false gods to predict the future. Uh-huh. Okay. So there is some sort of a pattern there. Of Yes. Cool. So to sum it up real quick, this is first point. And we, we actually have seven, right? So for those listening to this, if you have a notebook handy, you might want to write them down or uh, pay special attention because there's, there's seven reasons. They're not just one. But this first reason was that prophetic prediction... Distinguishes between a true and a false God because God is able to both predict and fulfill, whereas an idol can't. Well, give us the second reason. What's another reason why we should consider predictive prophecy? All right, reason
1: number two. A predictive prophecy validated true prophets. Hmm. No one since Moses had a direct hotline to heaven. Uh, when people were re- rebelling against the leadership of Moses, God spelled things out. This is in Numbers chapter 12 when Aaron and Miriam, the brother and sister of Moses, were jealous of Moses. Right. Okay. Okay. So God spoke to them and he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? When God spoke face to face with Moses, it means he's speaking not through visions, not through dreams, but like you and I just sitting across from one another, just speaking face to face. All the other prophets relied on visions and dreams. In Deuteronomy 18, when Moses was about to die, Moses made it absolutely clear how
0: Israel was to learn the will of God after he died. That's right. And he actually spells out a wrong way and a right way about learning God's will. Would you maybe break that down for us real quick? Okay, Deuteronomy 18
1: verses 9 through 13 answers that question, okay? There the scripture says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your
0: God. Now, this very practical instruction about the wrong way to know God's will contains a lot of uh, things such as witchcraft, soothsaying, sorcery, conjuring spells, medium spiritus. What makes these things wrong? <laughs> That's not in your notes. Sorry, but I'm I'm just curious about it, so I wanted to ask what makes them. Was it the question you were expecting? Was it? <laughs> you know, like the, just the difference between a prophet. And a soothsayer or the prophet and the spirit, obviously one is from God and the other is faking it, but is there more to it than that? Is there anything you know, what in these people's intentions, motives, etc.?
1: Well, soothsaying, witchcraft, uh, medium spirits, uh, conjuring up spells, all of this is either demonic based on demonic activity or based upon human uh, ingenuity and human craftiness Mm -hmm. versus uh, depending upon God. And God didn't want his people depending either upon themselves or upon the devil. Right. And so that's why all of these uh, spiritist mediums conjuring up the dead, that's why they were forbidden is because they were from a satanic source.
0: You you mentioned that phrase, depending on themselves, depending on the devil. Do you think there's an element of, and I'm asking this genuinely, do you think there's an element of that God is not to be called whenever I want him by my own method versus him having a, a manner in which he is to be called? Maybe not called. Maybe the right word would be, you know, they had to approach God in a holy and reverent way at the tabernacle. We still today, we have a holy and reverent way that we conduct ourselves in prayer or in worship, et cetera, whereas a soothsayer sorcerer spiritist etc it's i can conjure up his power just at any convenient time that i have based on what i'm doing instead of his standards maybe i'm just kind of going down well i think path. part part of the soothsaying conjuring up the dead and
1: and spells and this sort of thing is people who are not satisfied with what God has already revealed. They, ah, okay. they want more right. than what God has revealed. Right. And God said in Deuteronomy 29, 29, uh, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But right. those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. Mm-hmm. So God is basically saying, I have told you enough through my prophets and in my inspired word that's all you need to know. And when people start using spiritists and mediums and spells and this sort of thing, they're basically saying, I'm not satisfied with God's word. I'm not satisfied with what he has revealed. I want more than that. And we need to be careful
0: with that kind of an attitude. It'll lead us astray. Um, The answer that you just gave about that is very helpful. Um, I, I, do you feel feel like this teaching, even though it's from Deuteronomy eighteen and and the scripture you also mentioned in Deuteronomy twenty nine, twenty nine, is this still applicable in the Christian age about depending on God's revelation instead of trying to seek to know these hidden things on my own without God's word or his help? Is this still a teaching that a Christian needs to obey today? I think so. When I think passages
1: like Second Timothy three, verses sixteen and seventeen that the Scripture uh, thoroughly furnishes us unto every good work. It makes us complete. Mm -hmm. We don't need any more than what God has revealed in his word. And this hungering and thirsting for more than what the written scriptures supply us with is the same attitude that God was warning against over here in Deuteronomy 18, when he was warning against Right, seeking after more information than what has been revealed.
0: Well, it reminds me as well of is it in Acts chapter eight, when Simon the sorcerer, his motives are clear. He was in it for power and and financial reasons. He wanted to increase his own self worth instead of just being a genuine disciple. Whenever he saw the true power of the Holy Spirit, right. We're on the a, a tangent, so maybe it's time to to jump back in. So th- these this is the wrong way, right? To to try to force knowing the future or force knowing beyond what is meant to be known with the spiritist, a the medium soothsayer etc moses also talked about the right way that we can know god's will we've probably alluded to it some in these these sundry questions i've just asked but maybe you can spell it out for us again what's the right way that we're supposed to know god's will
1: okay the right way is spelled out for us in deuteronomy 18 verse 14 through uh we'll go through verse 22. Verse 14 says, "For these nations which you will dispossess, listened to soothsayers and diviners. Mm. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me mm-hmm. from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear." According to all You desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. Mm. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name i will require it of him but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name which i have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods that prophet shall die and if you say in your heart how shall we know the word which the lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the lord if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So God's going to raise up prophets to speak to his people. And two tests were given to distinguish a false prophet from a true prophet. First, the true prophet must speak in the name of God. Right. Those speaking in the name of other gods They must be put to death, God Mm -hmm. told Moses. And second, if a prediction comes to pass, the prophet is a true prophet. And if the prediction does not come to pass,
0: then he's a false prophet. Let me ask you a question. What about the time in between the prophecy made and the prophecy fulfilled? You know what? I'm thinking about, I can't tell you book, chapter, and verse, but there's the time when King Ahab, and I think it may have been, starts with the letter J, a king from Judah, they were going to go off to battle and they called in some prophets and the one true prophet predicted Ahab you won't survive this whereas the false prophet had the horns you know, you're going to gore your enemies like this born he had to die in order to find out <laughs> whether or not the the prophet was truly from god or not do you have any thoughts on that you know the time in between it's spoken and fulfilled if What do you do with those prophets in the meantime who may be questionable? Brother Linwood Smith used to preach a sermon that
1: he entitled Prophet number
0: 401. Ooh, a cliffhanger this week. You need to tune in next week to hear the answer to that question and more of the seven reasons that predictive prophecy matters. And I hope to list those seven reasons on my website along with these podcast episodes. So go there and check them out. And I'd like to just add this. Will you please pray for me this week? If, if I could pull the curtain back to the inner workings of PureAndSimpleBible.com, it would show a man crazily trying to get everything done. And the harder that I try, the more I realize that there's just so much work to do. And so pray for me. Pray that I will have the wisdom and patience and foresight and stamina to keep all the cogs moving And pray also for those who have volunteered in the past and who continue to volunteer to help me out behind the scenes that, one, that I would reach out for their help, but two, that there would also be those that when I reach out who would be willing to help. And if that is you potentially and you have abilities or talents that you find would be helpful in this ministry, please contact me. You can reach me via email or text message and variety of platforms, but I'd love to collaborate with you in this ministry that I'm doing for the Lord. I believe passionately in what I do, and I pray that it's helpful in sharing the gospel and growing in the understanding of the Lord Jesus. And so, go to the website, look at the resources, find out what's available to help you, and also for you to help share the gospel with your friends. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true About a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you